Good morning, good morning everyone. My Bible is open to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll start in Hebrews chapter 6 as we've started every lesson in this series thinking about hope and thinking about being anchored to hope. It has been a joy to be with you this weekend and to focus so much on what Hebrews chapter 6 speaks of, verse 18, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. It has been a full weekend without any question. And we want to think some more this morning about our hope of heaven. And then, Lord willing, we'll close this evening by thinking about hope for being more effective in evangelism and what we can do to share the hope that we have with others. Like I said, being anchored to hope and tying ourselves to Jesus Christ is always something that I enjoy thinking about, talking about, singing about, praying about, and I hope that that has helped you this weekend to be even more committed to being a disciple and follower of Jesus the Christ. But I want us now to focus intensely on where we're headed. We've talked about hope being God working in us as we are walking with Him. Let's focus on that final goal. And to do that, I need you to move your Bible with me to Romans the 8th chapter. In Romans chapter 8, let's read in Romans 8, please. In Romans 8 and in verse 32. There Paul writes this, Romans 8 and 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You ever been, ever been lost? Ever had that disconcerting feeling of, oh, this is not familiar, this doesn't look like, I, I'm not sure where I am. Preachers have about a bazillion illustrations about being lost. We love to collect stories about being lost. And every one of those stories has exactly the same point. It is easy to get lost. We love stories like that. I have a great sermon illustration about an Air Force survival instructor who had a bunch of students in the mountains of Colorado and to show them some things about how to navigate safely back to camp, he said, I'm going to go over this little rise over this hill, and then I'll just come right back to you. And he went over the rise of the little hill, and then they waited. And then they waited some more. And then they waited some more. But he did not come back over the hill, because when he went over the hill, he got himself turned around and was rewarded for his efforts by being lost in the Colorado Rockies for three days. I must tell you that I have... Never been lost. Now, there have been some times where I wasn't sure where everybody else was, but personally, I have never been lost. We think about lost, and we think about all the gadgets that we have, GPS and our phones and everything else, all designed to keep us from getting lost. But again and again, preachers hammer home the idea of it's easy to be lost. And we do that with the express intent of saying, if you're not careful, 
you can slip away from Jesus. The devil is like a roaring lion. He is everywhere, prowling about, seeking someone whom he may devour. You could be lost. I could be lost. We need to be vigilant. We need to watch for our souls. And as we work with all of that, I worry sometimes that our discussion about how easy it is to be lost may begin to translate into our minds, into the thinking, yeah, I probably will be lost. In fact, all of our efforts to combat Calvinism and the false doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy, as we talk about how a person can be lost, I wonder sometimes if what people aren't hearing is the probability of apostasy. A preacher told me once that growing up, he heard a gospel preacher say in an auditorium of 200 Christians, I don't expect there'll be more than a dozen here who will be saved. You thinking about that? I'll just ask you, what do you think your odds are of making it to heaven? What would you say the chances are that you're getting there? 50-50? 60-40? Someone going 70-30? What do you think? It's so easy to get lost. I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Is that your attitude? Is that your hopeless look at Christianity? In Romans 8 and 32, Paul says something very daring. He says, it's hard to be lost. Do you see that? In verse 32, Paul identifies that there are powerful forces on our side that give us tremendous hope. And I'll just say it, Paul says, it's hard to be lost. Now, I know someone is thinking, I don't know about that, Brother Mark. I, I mean... After all, it's so easy to be lost, you don't even have to do anything and you can be lost. And I understand that. I get that. I've preached that. But I want you to see, and I need to see from our text in Romans 8 today, that Paul announces there are some factors in play. There are some things that God is doing that make it possible for us to go to heaven, and that not only make it possible for us to get there, they make it probable for us to get there. Paul balances our fear of being lost with the assurance that we can hope in God's work. And when we begin to survey in Romans 8 what God is doing, when we begin to understand how much God wants us to be saved, our very viewpoint of being lost will change. We will have enormous new confidence that gives us a boost in our Christianity because we have a real bedrock belief that not only can we be saved? We will be saved. Our hope in heaven then becomes an anchor for our soul. And that is precisely what Paul wants in Romans the 8th chapter. If we have that kind of hope, we can tie ourselves to Christ. It will make all the difference. So I'm going to share with you this morning... 
three things that Paul says from Romans 8 that help us see we can get there. That our hope of heaven is not futile or vain or foolish because it's hard. It is hard to be lost. And there are three reasons why that is true, Paul says, to begin with. It is hard to be lost because God is on our side. Let's read a little of this text in Romans 8. In Romans 8 and in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What Paul is talking about here is the powerful idea of having an ally. Someone who is on your side. Now I think in some ways, we in the United States struggle with the concept of allies. We have without any question the greatest military that's ever been assembled. Our United States fighting forces are the most powerful weapon upon this earth. As a result of that, we pretty much don't think we need allies. I'm thinking about some of the Gulf War operations that we've been involved in. I'm pretty sure that we would have won Desert Storm even if Scotland hadn't sent a company of bagpipers to help out. And the island of Cyprus, they contributed 125 soldiers. Appreciate you, Cyprus. I think we had that one covered. In fact, as you look back in military history, we pretty much feel like we're doing this on our own. Even some really big wars like World War II, we kind of have a feeling, yeah, England, they were kind of chipping in a little bit here and there. France, appreciate you. But you know who won that war? <laughs> yeah, that was us. That was us. We won the war. We don't need any helpers. We don't need any allies. But in Bible times, things were very, very different. There's no way that you could take on the might of Rome without having some help. You would need an ally. Thus, in fact, throughout the Bible, one of the major considerations is who's going to help us. When you read in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Jeremiah, there is constant discussion about a revolt against Babylonian power. And if we revolt against Babylon, will Egypt assist us? Will Egypt come to our rescue? Will Egypt be an ally to help us out? Lots of conversation about that. And there's lots of conversation in the New Testament world in 67 as the Jews plan and plot their revolt against Rome, who's going to be on our side? Can we get any help? Will we have somebody who is for us, who will assist us? So as Paul writes in that environment, he says to the soldiers of the cross, God, verse 31, is for us. I know you're wearied in this never-ending battle, but don't forget who your ally is. Don't forget who's on your side. God is on your side. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes brethren forget this. It's almost as if the devil and God are teaming up to keep people out of heaven. Almost as if God calls down to hell and says, Hey, listen, 
Listen, did you see that? That Christian nearly got in here. Can you get busy and do something about that? I want you to know that kind of thinking is completely askew scripturally and it is utterly blasphemous. God wants you to be saved. He is not trying to erect more barriers, more hurdles, more obligations so that you will fail and not get there. God wants you to be saved. He is, verse 31, for us. And maybe this is a good place to think about what that means in very practical terms. For example, hold your place in Romans 8. Let's add 1 Corinthians 10 into our conversation. In 1 Corinthians 10, this is verse 13, where the apostle says, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common unto man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Have you ever thought for even a moment at what the devil would do to crush you? What the devil would do to drive you away from God? What the devil would do to you to cause you to give up on God? If God didn't say, nope, you can't do that. That is just too much. Read the book of Job. God is constantly saying to the devil, nope, 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 nope. Too far. Can't be doing that. Can't be doing that. What would the devil do to you? And not only does God hold him at bay, God furthermore provides the way of escape so that when we are tempted, there is always the opportunity, there's always an escape hatch, there's always a way out. 1 Corinthians 10 is telling us God is for us. And how about Galatians now in Galatians the fourth chapter? In Galatians 4 and verse 4, you want to know what else that means? Practically, it means that God is providing a way of escape. He is dealing with the devil so that our temptations do not overwhelm us. And he is also providentially working. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, when did Jesus come? In Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. The expression fullness of time means the right time. God moved in human history in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to bring about redemption. And that's not the only time God has done that. All through Scripture, from Esther to the Ethiopian eunuch, we see story after story of God's operating, God in providence, doing things that look like amazing coincidences, and they are not a coincidence at all. It is the hand of God. It is God's timing. It is God knowing what needs to be done so that in the right time, verse 4, the fullness of time, the right thing will occur. His timing is not always our time, but God's timing is always perfect. He's always moving and acting and bringing together everything at the right place, the right people, the right time 
so that His will can be done, so that He can help us, so He can be our ally. In fact, this morning, there's someone I'm sure in an audience of this size sitting here who is discouraged. Maybe you thought about, I'm not going to make it. I can't do this Christianity thing any longer. And here you are this morning being encouraged by the Word of God because I'm preaching on exactly what you needed at exactly this moment because, because God is at work. Because God is on our side. In fact, as I turn back to Romans 8, in Romans 8 and verse 32, look at what God has done. In Romans 8 and verse 32, there he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Remember? Remember what hope is? It is the confident belief that God is working in our lives to bring us home to Him. Verse 32 says, God gave His Son. So that would happen. God gave His Son... So that would happen. Can I put one more verse in here? How about 2 Thessalonians, please? In 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 11, I love what Paul says to the Thessalonican church. In 2 Thessalonians, there he says in chapter 1 and in verse 11, We are always praying for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. One translation says, May God give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. What's that talking about? That's talking about how God is for us. That means God is our ally. That means God is on our side. When are we going to learn? When are we going to accept the truth That God is good and God wants His children to be saved. He is on our side. He has worked in the past. He is working right now to bring you home to Him. You can call what God has done grace or unmerited favor. You can call it mercy. You can call it love. But in the end, what it means is this incredible, all-powerful ally is working to save you and He is working to save me. And when I am down, and when I lack confidence, and when I am feeling hopeless, what I need to be asking myself is, who am I relying on? Am I thinking I'm getting myself to heaven? Or am I reminding myself God's strength, God's power, the work of God, that's what's getting this done I have an ally. Which would bring me further in Romans 8. Let's look at that text again in Romans 8 to verse 34. In Romans 8 and in verse 34. 31, 32, and 33 push us into verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand indeed and is interceding, 
for us. What about the Son? What about the Son, Jesus the Christ? God gave His Son, that's remarkable, the Son was willing to come. He was willing to come and be mistreated in the most terrible fashion to die an awful death. But I need you to be mindful, remember, Christ didn't die and stay dead. Jesus Christ rose again. What's He doing? What's Jesus doing? Verse 34, more than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God. Indeed, He is interceding for us. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's where? He's where? He's at the right hand of God. How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel to know that Jesus Christ is standing next to the Father? He's interceding for you. Think about that. What if, what if you were working maybe a factory job, some kind of corporate job? Maybe you're kind of in the mid-layer of all those worker bees. And one day you decide, you know what? Need to get more healthy, so I, I, I'm going to start walking to work which played out really well in the morning. You came in, it was bright and sunny, but the day stacked up on you, and now, oh, you know, winter, sun goes down a little bit sooner, and as you leave work this evening, it's getting a little darker. And as you walk home, you never had really realized as you whip through this neighborhood in your car that this neighborhood is kind of seedy. And there are some bars on some of the windows as the businesses now have closed up. And the area feels alone and dark. And there are some streetlights that aren't working. And now it's gloomier and scarier. And suddenly... Out of this alley to the side, three really tough-looking fellas step out. And they say something about your wallet. And you're thinking, if all I lose out of this is some money and my credit cards, I'm going to be okay with that. And you throw them your wallet and you turn to run and behind you, there's another seedy fella. And no one picked up your wallet and you realize it isn't about money. That these guys are intent on roughing you up, beating you up. And suddenly you're wondering if you're ever going to get home at all. And about the time some bad things start, suddenly there's this blur. And this guy jumps into the middle of the whole situation. And maybe he's doing 
Kung Fu, or Krav Maga, or since this is my story and I'm a Texan, he's carrying a really large handgun. But however you want to work it out, you work it out because there's complete and total defense and these bad guys are utterly vanquished. And in a minute, your new friend is picking you up off the ground and dusting you off. And he looks at you and you realize you're looking into the face of the company president's son. And he says, man, I'm glad I happened on this because father and I have been watching you and you're way too valuable in the company for some kind of nonsense like this to take you out. No, we want you to succeed in our company. I'm glad I was here for you today. Can I ask you a question? How do you feel about your place in the company now? If there's all kinds of discussions of economic recession and trouble, do you feel like your job is threatened? If there's talk at the water cooler that there's going to have to be some kind of layoffs, are you worried you're going to get cut? No, you're not. Why not? Because the son of the company president saved you. The son of the company president says, I know you. The son of the company president says, we're talking about you. We value you. If cuts come, if hard decisions have to be made, the son is at the right hand of the president saying, we know that guy. Don't you feel absolutely secure where you are? Read Romans 8 with me again. Read Romans 8 and verse 34 again. Who will condemn us? Christ Jesus. Yeah, that's the Son is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Indeed, He is interceding for us. He is at the place of supreme honor. Paul says Christ Jesus is there pleading our case before the Father. And we know it's true. Because every time you see Jesus in the Gospels, what's He doing? Praying for somebody, helping somebody, serving somebody, praying for others, even those who murdered him. Heard him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is our mediator. He is our great high Priest. In fact, the Hebrew writer says, hold Romans 8. The Hebrew writer affirms in Hebrews 7, in Hebrews 7 and in verse 25. Consequently, Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is hope? That God is at work in our lives. What's Hebrews 7.25 say? God is at work. Do you see? God is for us. And now we see that the Son is for us. And that they are there together in heaven working to bring us to salvation. You tell me. How do you beat that hand? You tell me. You talk about stacking the deck in our favor. It would be more than enough. 
If the Father was for us, having the Heavenly Father as our ally is an incredible idea. Now we're adding to that that the Son intercedes for us. He gives us the power of prayer that when I am down and when I am discouraged, when my hope is running dry, what can I do about that? I can connect in Prayer. Jesus will intercede for me. The ability to talk to the Lord, to know that He hears, answers, and will move heaven and earth in response to our prayers. That is an incredible idea. Look at Hebrews 4.14. In Hebrews 4, since then, Hebrews 4 and in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest... We have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast. Hear the anchor? Hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. One in every respect who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to refine to make, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You begin to see all that heaven's doing for us. Don't you start to wonder? How can anybody be lost? You put Jesus on the project, I mean that puts some muscle behind this. You've got God as your ally, this is going to happen. God is working, Jesus is working, it's hard to be lost. And it is particularly hard to be lost, Paul will affirm, because there isn't anything that can separate us from the love of Christ. So in verse 34, Who will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Therefore, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That vital question there. Who, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ? One scholar wrote, we climb a grand staircase here, and this question is on the top step. As we stand on it, Paul himself now does what we have been trying to do with his other questions. He asks now, who will separate us from the love of Christ, and looks around for an answer? And there is none. Who will take us from Christ? Who can pry us away from the Lord against our will? Who can get in there and despite everything that we are doing, all of our efforts, all of our prayers, everything that God and Jesus are doing, it won't make any difference. We'll just be lost anyway. The answer is nobody can do that. Nothing can do that. In fact, verse 37, 
Paul surveys seven tribulations and concludes in verse 37 that we actually triumph through them. The very things that the devil imagines will beat us make us stronger and only guarantee the victory all the more. How reassuring this must have been to the Roman church. To those Christians, persecution and even death. Those were not academic issues. That wasn't something that we talk about in Bible class in a very out there sort of way. Maybe it might happen, but we wouldn't, oh, I've never seen. No. These brethren knew about this. They knew about it personally. And so Paul says, I know you're in the devil's crosshairs. And I know you feel like you're meriting more than your share of his attention. But if you're wondering if you can take it, if you're wondering if you're still going to stand, if you're wondering if this is the end, then inevitably he's going to pry you away from Christ. Paul says confidently, no, he won't. It can not be done. It will not be done. You will survive this. The devil can't forcibly take you from the Lord. God's love for you goes on. Jesus' work for you goes on. In every trial, in every tribulation, God is at work. And tough times doesn't mean that God has left you because Paul says God will never leave you. Somewhere in all of this, we need to mark it down. The devil can't keep us from heaven. He just can't. He doesn't have a weapon big enough to stop the love of God. He doesn't have a power big enough to interfere with Christ's intercession. The devil is wicked. He is unbelievably evil. He will do anything and everything to stop you from getting to heaven. But on his best day... He doesn't have what it takes. He can't take you from the Lord. Every legion of darkness, every catastrophe, every battle weapon that He would bring against us is not enough. And it is James that says in James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, very much the same thing. When James reminds us in James 4 and verse 7, Submit yourselves unto God, James 4 verse 7. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. There's just not anything he's got that can beat beat the love of God. The devil can't do it. And that's why he says, Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 37, In all these things we are more than conquerors, underline in your Bible, through Him. See, that's the key. That's the key. We're not doing this on our own. We couldn't stand on our own. But in our ally, in Jesus... In what God does, 
that's how we get to victory. In fact, that's where the emphasis is. Verse 39, height or depth or anything in all of creation could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we carry in our hearts... Our love for God is greater than anything the devil can throw at us. When all else has been taken from us, when everything goes wrong, when there is nothing left but uncertainty about what will be next in our hearts, we know God loves us and we go on. But even more, then what we have in our hearts is what God has in His heart for us. And that's really the focus. The love of God, verse 39, in Christ Jesus. One writer said, Our confidence is not that, I, that we love Him, because our love for God can be frail and fickle and faltering. Our confidence comes in His love for us, which is steadfast and faithful and persevering. Our confidence doesn't come in ourselves. Our confidence comes because we trust in God. It's hard to be lost when for someone to be lost, you have to pry them away from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says, the devil can't do that. So the reality this morning, brethren, is that while getting lost can be easy, and in fact in the wilds it happens all the time, people wander off the trail, and despite every warning and GPS navigation and satellite phones, people still get lost. And in fairness, I should say, Christians still get lost too. If you want to be lost, you can. Despite everything that God does, if you want to go to hell, you can go there. You'll go kicking and screaming because you'll be fighting against God. But if you want to walk away from God and His love, you can. You can do that, but you can't do it easily because God wants you to be saved. And if you decide, I'm just not going to be saved, you will find that you are resisting the very will of God. You will find that you have to evade all that God does for you, all that your brethren do for you. You will find that you are fighting against the Lord because He wants you to be saved. I guess if somebody really wants to be lost, they could be, but God's power, Christ's work, and the love of the Lord will all be working to bring you home to heaven. And what it takes for you and me to get there is just more faith in God's work. 
more trust in God's power, more belief in God's goodness, because when we bring all of that together, that gives us more hope. And when we are genuine in our hope that we can get to heaven, we can be firmly anchored no matter what the storms of life bring. We are anchored to the truth that with God, it's hard. It's hard to be lost. Let's pray about it. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are awed by your love for us, by your sending of your Son, by His willingness to be that sacrifice, by His intercession for us, by your Spirit recording and writing your very mind that we might know these things. Oh, Father, give us more hope as we trust in your goodness to work and bring us home to you. Help us to have genuine faith in our reward in heaven with you because we trust you, your goodness, and your love. It's in Christ we pray these things. And amen. What a fitting opportunity for us to extend the gospel's invitation. It may be that you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ. Maybe because you thought there's no point in me even trying this Christianity thing, I'll never make it work. And you need to see that with God's help, yes, you will. Yes, you can. And we'd love to help you begin with Jesus this morning in the waters of baptism. Baptized for the remission of your sins, as Acts 2 and verse 38 teaches. You can start with Christ now. If you are a Christian and you've lost your hope and you've lost your way, it's time to return to the Lord and all His goodness and all that He is doing for you to bring you home to Him. Can we help you repent, brother or sister? Can we help you turn back to the Lord? This morning we want to help you to become a Christian or be a better Christian who is hoping in God for that eternal home. Can we help you do that? Make your way down front while we stand, while we sing.